Okay. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. We're so glad you're joining us uh, here on our YouTube channel for our service today. Our prayer uh, for you and for all of us this morning is that this service is really a blessing and a help to you. Uh, we're going to be jumping back into our series on stewardship. Uh, one of the things that I've been really, really challenged to think about is that stewardship, I think, is God's way of getting us to rethink about how we think about the things in our lives. So, for example, a lot of us like to think of a, as like a pendulum. Are we savers or are we spenders? Stewardship asks us to do something even greater, I think. Um, some of us, we look at it as what we have, you know, and how do I manage that? Or, or some of us is what we don't have. But again, stewardship forces us to, to look at it, I think, the way God, God orders us to, to look at our lives and the things in our lives. And, and part of the foundation of that is that God created everything. God owns everything. He, he spoke the world to existence. It's through Jesus, through everything was made. And stewardship invites us into this partnership with God that says, Yes, I've created everything, but everything I've given you, I would like you to steward for me. Now, what's a steward? A steward is a manager of everything that God has gifted us. So as we think about it, maybe individually, um, we need to think about how do I steward my mind, body, and soul? How do I steward my relationships? How do I steward resources, assets? How do I steward all these things for God's glory? Now, the full sermon series is kind of a mouthful. Uh, we call it called to steward, growing in Christ-likeness, caring, and trust. And part of my hope for us is that as we go through stewardship, um, we're thinking about this. As we grow, hopefully we're seeing God's blessings in you. You know, if you follow Jesus for six months, you know, you have a story to tell. If you follow Jesus for six years, you have a story to tell. You follow Jesus for 60 years, you have a story to tell. And my hope is that that story is that in your lives, you're seeing gifts that God's given you being stewarded for his glory. Um, I'd like to just invite you now, just take a couple moments to, to pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much that we've been blessed by you. I thank you so much that the God who owns everything wants to partner with us. Lord, teach us how to steward all that you've given, all that you've gifted, all that we have. Let it be for you and your glory and your kingdom come. In your holy and precious name, amen. So when we first started this series, we talked about stewarding our resources. And, and really, we were talking about our money. You know, we said, God, my, my resources, my money belongs to you. What I have, God, I want to give it all for you and for the kingdom. So instead of this idea of how's my money working for me, we say, let our money and everything that we have work for the kingdom. Uh, today, we're going to kind of, I don't know if it's the second half of this message, but it's kind of related in the sense of our money sometimes buys us different assets that we have. So we're going to kind of talk about, you know, this idea that, God, everything I have, maybe what we've earned or maybe what we've bought with some of those resources of money, that belongs to you too. The challenge for us when we look at our assets is saying, you know, God, I got this car. How can I use this car for your glory and your kingdom? God, we have this house. How can we use this house for your glory and your kingdom? God, we have um, these relationships or I have this relationship or these relationships. How can I use that for your glory and your kingdom? Everything that we have belongs to God. And one of the ways I think that God asks us or helps us really to learn how to use all these assets for his glory and for his kingdom is by calling us to be hospitable. Hospitality is something that God calls us to, and it's all throughout the Bible. You know, two, two kind of famous passages that I like. In Leviticus, he says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then First Peter says it like this, above all, 
Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. By being hospitable, by loving the foreigner, the stranger, the immigrant, those who maybe society say doesn't belong, the least of these, by loving them, we get to be like our God who, who loved his people when they were in distress. But above all, yes, love covers a multitude of sins, but the way we can show love is by taking every gift we have, every asset we've received, and using that to serve others, for God calls us to be faithful stewards. Now, as I was thinking about, you know, what passage to maybe highlight hospitality or giving our assets for, for God's glory, you know, I thought about the Good Samaritan, which uh, Pastor Patty did in the children's story. And that's a story where, you know, the question comes before Jesus, you know, what do I have to do to follow the law? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And they, the, the, the man responds, you know, well, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, soul, with all your heart, you know, and then and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, go and do that. And the man says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story about your neighbor is the one who has mercy. Your neighbor is the one who shows hesed. Your neighbor is the one that I am calling you for everyone in your life to show and love the way God loves you. That's what it means to be a neighbor. And I also thought about Elijah and the widow of Zarephath in, in 1 Kings 17 and, and Elisha and the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4. But the Old Testament story and really the, the, the story that really kept jumping out to me, though, was this story of Abigail. Abigail that we learn about in 1 Samuel 25. Now, to give us a little bit of background, the story begins in 1 Samuel 25, and, and Samuel has just passed away. Samuel ha has kind of helped Israel bridge this gap from, from the judges to, to now kings. In fact, you could think of him as a kingmaker, for he uh, anoints Saul, and, and, then he, and then he anoints David. But the thing about Samuel is that he's not just a prophet or a seer, but he's really the, the leader of Israel during this time. And even when the king comes onto the scene, he's still seen as the moral authority or God's, God's representative, God's steward, if you will, of Israel during this time. But our story begins where Samuel has just died and he's buried in his hometown. But then it continues. Um, the other characters that we meet is David, someone that we're familiar with in our Bible. But at this point of the David story, he's an outlaw. He's on the run from Saul. Saul is, is grown in jealousy and really rage, and, and, and he knows that David is, is the chosen one, and David is coming for his throne, you know? And, and he wants to kill and get rid of David. So David is on the run from Saul, and he's living in the wilderness. And then also in our, our 1 Samuel 25, we meet this guy by the name of Nabal. Nabal is wealthy. He's surly. He's mean. Some translation says he's harsh. He's rude. And some translations just pull it all out, and they say, Nabal was an evil man. But then there's Abigail, and there's Abigail, and people, you know, originally would, would read this story and be like, yeah, it's interesting because one of the things they point out is that she's beautiful. But I think when you read this story, you find out that her beauty, right, is not the whole point of the story or a point of the story at all. What you find is a woman who's intelligent, a woman who's able to assess not only the political situation, not only the relational situation between Nabal and David, not only you know the political situation between David being on the run and being the anointed king and Saul chasing him, but she's able to also bring in her faith 
Abigail is this pious woman who loves God, who believes in God's promises, and is willing to give all of her assets to God for his glory and his kingdom. And that's why I think I love Abigail, because how she does it is by being hospitable and teaches us that we can do the same thing. Now, when the story continues, it's during a festival time. The festival was when, um, you know, the, 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 the rich um, would have shepherds, you know, and, and Nabal, we find out, has, you know, all these resources, right? And what they would do is they would have sheep shearing. So you would have your, your sheep off, um, you know, grazing, or they would be off, and you'd have people that you paid to work to watch over them. And then after the festival, after they've watched over them, and the time has come when you do the sheep shearing, it was kind of like payday, you know? It was like, uh, hey, you guys did really good care taking care of my sheep. You did a really good job. So this is what you got, right? So that's what's going on. Now David hears, oh my goodness, it's festival time. It's sheep shearing time. It's payday. So David, who his men had been in the wilderness, but one of the things they've done is they've actually protected Nabal's men and protected Nabal's property and Nabal's assets. And they've actually been in the wilderness making sure that whether it was wild animals or a band of raiders, they have actually served Nabal while they were in the wilderness protecting his assets. So David says, oh, it's payday. Day. That sounds wonderful. We're in the wilderness. We're on the run. We're not necessarily working. We need some help, and it's payday. It's festival time. So David sends this group to collect for, for the services they've been provided. Nabal refuses. Now, some people think Nabal refuses because he has loyalty to Saul, and he's just like, well, I'm not going to give you anything. You're disrespectful. Who are you, David? Some people think Nabal refuses because he's just mean and evil and, and he could care less. Some people think Nabal refuses because he's just selfish and he's all about, you know, what I have is mine and I will dictate how it gets. It could be any one of those three. It's probably all of those three. But what we know is that Nabal refuses. And when Nabal refuses, David goes to anger. And when David goes to anger, he goes completely and straight to vengeance. And I want to pause here for a second because we can say David has been wronged. We can say that David has been mistreated. We can say that David and his men are not just in need, but they have worked for the services and Nabal is not paying. They are righteously angry. But David takes that anger and, and, and points it and, and it changes himself to go towards vengeance. He's going to make things right. And how is he going to make things right? He is going to go to Nabal's house and slaughter people. And I think this is important because when we seek vengeance, we may not be in line with God's justice. When we seek to, to, to make things right as I see fit, I may not be in line with God's justice, but that's what's happening. David is wronged, and he's ready to go show and prove to Nabal that you will not disrespect my name, my reputation, and who I'm going to be. Nabal, I'm going to show you my vengeance. But while David is packing up with his men and going to Nabal's house, Abigail, the intelligent, the faithful, the pious one, a servant comes to her and gives the update and says, hey, listen, Nabal is being Nabal again. 
You know, David, whose men had kind of protected us when we were out caring for the sheep. David, whose men who had protected us from, you know, the wild animals and protected us from raiders and made sure everything came here so we could have this festival. David sent a, a little battalion, like a small group of young people to, to ask for, you know, payday, to ask for, hey, it's festival time. Can we get some resources here? And, and Nabal disrespected him. And Nabal kind of said, who are you that I should give something to you? And, and Nabal probably put us in danger because by this kind of disrespect, remember David is the one who killed Goliath. David is even greater than that, is the one whose God's hand is upon. David is angry and he's probably heading this way. So what does Abigail do? She acts quickly. She shows faith and, and not just, you know, she shows faith in God, trust in God. She shows knowledge of, of not just David, but the whole political situation between David and Saul. She shows piety. She wins David over with her wit. She wins David over with her intelligence. She wins David over with her pious and trusting God. And, and that, that, the, the, the focus of our passage is really that conversation that she wins David over. But the end of the story, which I'll give you now, right, is that when she, after she interacts with David, she comes home to a partying Nabal. And, and she, 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 first of all, left to take resources to David without telling him. And when she gets back, Nabal is throwing a big party. She doesn't talk to him that night. But the next day, she goes to Nabal and explains to him what he's done to David and, and what she's done to try to remedy that. And about a week later, Nabal, either from a stroke or a heart attack or shock, you know, dies. And after he dies, Abigail is set free. You know, till death do us part, Nabal dies, and, and David, actually the destined king, ends up marrying Abigail. But as I looked at the whole chapter, I think it's the conversation that Abigail leads with David in showing not just her intelligence or her piety, but showing her faith in God. I think this conversation and her actions of being hospitable towards David, who was seeking vengeance, points us to the sign of if we have assets and we give it to God and we use it for God's glory, God will not just be glorified, but the kingdom can be on earth as it is in heaven. If you have your Bible, turn to me to 1 Samuel 25. I'll be reading verses 23 to 20, 31. 1 Samuel 25, verses 23 to 31, starting at verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to the wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. 
when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over all Israel, my Lord will not have his conscience and the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. When we think about stewardship, when we think about assets, when we think about how to steward our assets, Abigail shows us four things that I think are important. The first one is she goes above and beyond. David sent his little delegation to Nabal and asking for his payday. Abigail gathered bread, wine, sheep, grain, cakes, of figs and raisins. She goes above and beyond to, to not only remedy this situation, but to show that, listen, if all of this has been given to God and this is God's chosen one, we will go above and beyond to make things right. The second thing that Abigail does I think is real, real fascinating here is that she serves David but in a way that upholds his dignity. She serves David, but in a way that upholds his dignity. David is angry. He's vengeful. He's actually going to slay anyone in Nabal's house, which probably would have included Abigail herself. Yet in this situation, she meets David on the road, and she falls at his feet. She puts her face to the ground, and repeatedly in this passage, she says, I am your servant like you are the servant of God. She does not ignore that her husband Nabal has been foolish. She doesn't even ignore that Nabal has been wrong. She reminds us and maybe even teaches us that we can want reconciliation, but there's no true reconciliation without justice first. So that's why she, she upholds David's dignity, not by ignoring how he's been wrong, not by saying, David, you just need to move on, not by saying, David, that was a long time ago, but by saying, David, I know Nabal was wrong. I've come to try to make restitution. I've come to try to make it right because we need justice before we can call for reconciliation. The third thing that Abigail does is she points David back to God. And even though David is on the way to, to, to commit, you know, vengeance, she says, David, you're the one who fights your enemies. Yeah, but remember, God fights your battles. Remember, God's chosen you for something greater than yourself. Remember that, you know, when you come into God's promise, you don't want to have this, you know, vengeance on your hand, this murder on your head. David, you want to be free. The Lord has even kept you from this vengeance. And David, I serve you as you serve God. David, these gifts that I have, I'm giving it to you and your men because what I have belongs to not to Nabal, not even to me, but to God and for his glory. The fourth thing I think Abigail does is she trusts God, but then she reminds David of God's promises to David. And I think that's the part I really love about this passage. She says, David, I know you feel wrong right now, but your destiny isn't slaying Nabal. Your destiny is to be the king over all Israel. David, I know you feel mad and you want to make these things right, but remember, God has chosen you for something greater than even our time because, David, in you, in you will come the line of the Messiah that will save all the world. She looks David in the eye and she's saying, David, your present situation, as an outlaw with Saul chasing you down and wanting to, to, to kill you and slay you because you're coming for his throne. Your present situation, David, is not even anything close to your future destination. The present situation you're in is not your final fate. 
You know, we think about stewarding our assets. Again, we have to come before God and say, all that we have belong to you. Whether it's things that, you know, like our cars or, or our houses or our relationships, everything belongs to God. But if we are willing to obey God by being hospitable, by being friendly, by being generous, by taking all these things that God's given us and saying, God, how can I use this for your glory? I think I think we will do much better in stewarding these assets. Now, I think Abigail in this passage is our teacher. She teaches us how to steward our assets, and it's by serving. The first way she teaches us what we've already shared is that she goes above and beyond. When I first came to this country, we lived in this small northern Jersey town. I, I still remember this family that lived across the street from, from our, our elementary school. And, and we played sports with one of the sons. And, and I remember as our relationship grew, I really got introduced to what hospitality is. You know, by the end of fifth grade, this actually became like our second house. You know, after school, we'd go there. We'd have a snack ready. You know, we'd have help for homework if we needed. And we'd have everything we needed to go to practice back at school because we lived on the other side of town. And I still remember remember this family who went above and beyond to not just say, hey, you know, come here some of the time, but they literally looked at their house as a place to usher in God's kingdom, as a place to not just be hospitable, but to open it up and say, you know what? Anyone that comes in here will be met with love, will be met with grace, will be met with compassion. When we serve others, when we look at the things God's given us, are we willing to say, God, all of this belongs to you, and I'm willing to do and give it for your glory? Are we willing to go above and beyond, not to look good to the world, not to build up our portfolio, but to build up treasure in heaven, but to build up our sisters and brothers? Are we willing to go above and beyond? The second thing that Abigail teaches us is as we give our assets or as we, as we serve one another, we need to serve in a way that upholds the dignity of people. You know, the second story of hospitality I thought about this week was, you know, after we moved to, to Philadelphia, we had a time where our guardian um, was, was, was sick and she was in the hospital over Christmas. And I remember, you know, we were, were sitting in the house and I think we were in middle school at the time. And, and we actually were just like, you know what? She's in the hospital, so we're going to try to make this work out. And I remember a family from our church was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to spend Christmas by yourself. And I remember Joe and I looking at each other and be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually what we're going to do. Like, we can't go anywhere. We don't have a car. We're just going to do that. And I remember that this family invited us in for Christmas. But what I love and what I remember about that Christmas season is that when they invited us in, it was as friends. And then by the end of the weekend, we became family. They served us in a way that wasn't like, let's go help these poor little kids. They served us in a way that upheld our dignity. And I think it's a challenge to us as God's people that as we serve people, and there might be people in need, and there might be people who don't even recognize their need, but are we willing to serve the way Jesus serves in a way that upholds the dignity of people, in a way that doesn't make us look good, but in a way that makes God shine through us so that they can feel not just human, but as the child and children of God that they are. Are we willing to serve to uphold people's dignity? You know, the third thing Abigail teaches us is that we need to give in a way that points others back to God. I think one of the greatest charges on our church 
is that we have to continue this work of being on earth as it is in heaven. We have to shine our light, not just on this hill, but we have to shine our light in our homes, in our workplaces, in our families, even in our social media. We have to shine our light everywhere. And the way we're going to sure, you know, the way we're going to serve and, and whatever assets that we have, we need to go to people and always work to point them back to Jesus Christ. When we look at the world not as, it be, not as it should be, we need to step up and say we as a church are going to join God in bringing light to darkness and, and, and healing the broken and showing people what God's love feels like. And whatever assets that God's given us as a church, as a body, as a family, we need to give in a way that points others back to our God. Last thing that Abigail teaches us is that we must always hold on to God's promises. We must always live to point others to God's promises. David was hurt. David was angry. David wanted vengeance. David was only looking at the here and the now. And Abigail forces him to step back and to say, David, I know you're hurt but so does God. David, I know you want vengeance, but remember God's called you to righteousness. David, I know you feel, you know, taken advantage of, but God is going to supply everything you need above and beyond. We all need to live in a way that point others to God's promises. So how do we steward our assets? We give it all to God and say, God, this belongs to you. God in my relationships, God in my everyday living, God at home, God at work, God everywhere I am, everything I say, everything I do, if it all belongs to you, help me to use it for your glory. And by serving and being hospitable, that's just one of the basic ways we can serve our God. God bless you all. Can I just do benediction?